Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. You know, what is the, what is the purpose for me fasting if I'm a born-again Christian? Uh, you know, why do I need to fast? Why do I need to deny my flesh and, and, and fast? And so, and it's it's a legitimate question, and and you know I told you the other night that we talk about it a lot here, so it's really nothing new. But you go into a lot of churches, and fasting is a foreign language. You know, it's just something that they don't do. They don't know anything about it. They don't believe it's for this this uh, hour that we're in, and so. Uh, and and I'm not condemning anybody. I mean, that's it's up to you. And, and like I said, it's up to you uh, if you want to fast. Uh, I'm not going to be uh, like like John Wesley, you know, John Wesley, who is the father of of the Methodist movement, the Methodist Church. Uh, he required his church every week, Wednesday and Friday, to fast from sun up to 4 p.m. every week. That was that was what he required. So uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, and I'm not going to be like the pastor that put his church on a fast and, and he went to McDonald's either. So, uh, or Chinese. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, anyway, so, so why, why do we need to fast? And that's what we're going to really focus on tonight. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but but as <clears throat> as a nation, our nation is in the early stages uh, of what I'm calling or what is referred to as a global reset. Have you ever heard? Have you heard that? Have you heard that term, global reset? Well, we're in the early stages of a global reset, and. Uh, and this <clears throat> this global reset that I'm talking about uh, will affect all of us. It will affect you and I in every area of our life. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's got some uh, copies if you want to get one. Uh, if you don't, that's fine. But uh, but it's going to be a global reset that will affect you privately. It will affect you publicly, socially, spiritually, financially. Every area of your life is going to be affected by this global reset, and it's coming. You can mark it down. It's coming. Uh, projections are uh, around 2030. That's seven years from now. But, but your life will be affected. Things as you know it and I know it will change. And, and so uh, and as you begin to, to study this, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of scary, but, but it's coming. And I believe it's a part of the end, of, in the end times. And we're living in a society now where when, when bad things happen, bad weather, uh, mass shootings, uh, things such as that, pandemic, the, the COVID pandemic that we 
uh, have been in for the past several years. Uh, when those things like that happen, we've got people in, in certain positions in power that are taking advantage and capitalizing on those things, and they're using it as a reason to bring about change. For example, uh, a mass shooting. When a mass shooting takes place, what's the first thing that you hear? We need gun control. So what they're doing is they're capitalizing on these things to bring about certain changes in control. All right. So why am I saying that? <clears throat> I'm saying that for this reason, that it is becoming more and more important that the church, the body of Christ, the born-again believers, we need a spiritual reset. We need... Uh, a time to come back to God. And I, I put down three words, reset, refresh, and reboot. Re reset means to set or to adjust or fix in a new or different way. Uh, the other day, uh, I, was, I had to do some things on my phone, <clears throat> and I had, a, I had a bunch of files that I had to uh, download to my phone. And I needed to keep it to where I could, I could find it real easily and pull it up. Well, I got to looking for my files app, and my files app was not on my phone. Uh, and so as I began to look, I, I said, I know iPhone has got a files app on it, but I couldn't find it. It wasn't on my phone. Come to find out, uh, Apple's made some changes through iCloud, and it, it, it wiped the... Uh, files app off of a lot of phones. So I began to look on how to get my files out back. The only way that I could get it back is I had to go in and I had to reset my home screen. In other words, I had to go in and, and reset my home screen, which would take it back to its original settings. Needless to say, I got my phone, my uh, files out back, but it was I had to do it by reset. Uh, and the next word is to refresh. And that word refresh means to reinvigorate, to stimulate the memory. And the other one is to reboot or restart as with a computer. Uh, so those are words that, that we are hearing more and more in our, in our nation. And if you're on computer or our phone a lot, you're going to hear that word reset, refresh, uh, uh, and, and reboot. And so those are the words that the Lord just began to deal with my spirit about that is important for us as the church to understand. So, uh, so what I want to talk about tonight is, is why do you need to fast? Why do you need to, to spend time giving yourself to the Lord uh, in a different way. Uh, and I've got on my, my notes, there's one thing that will bring a halt to God's power that's working and moving in your life, uh, and that is unbelief. Unbelief is like the venom of a poisonous snake that spreads throughout the body. Unbelief will shut down. God is almighty. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and he's all-seeing. 
How many of you know that? But unbelief will shut and mute all of that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your unbelief can totally shut down the move of God in your life? Why is that? You ever thought about it? Why is unbelief such a deadly poison to the believer? Anybody again? I'm asking a question. Right, okay, all right. Okay, all right. So, so unbelief and the opposite of unbelief is believing. That's what Sister Debbie said. So, so if I believe in something, what am what am I saying? I'm saying if I believe in God, then what am what am I saying? I'm saying I've got faith. There is a God. All right. So unbelief is the absence of faith that says. God is, all right, or God can, or God will, all right, that's unbelief. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you don't believe, you can't be pleasing to God. And so unbelief is literally like the venom of a poisonous snake that gets in inside of us that, that uh, begins to affect the nervous system begins to collapse our arteries and all of that, and it shuts the body down. That's the power of unbelief. It is the same thing that caused the children of Israel not to be able to inherit their promised land. Think about that. That is the power of unbelief. They saw the land. They even had had fruit that came from the land, but yet they saw giants or saw people that were bigger than they are. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. That is the deadliness of unbelief. So why am I talking about this? I'm saying that as we progress more and more into uh, the years to come, and as we get closer and closer uh, probably to the coming of Jesus, it's going to require the church, the body of Christ, is going to have to engage in what's going on in the world. Guys, you and I, and, and I'm not saying you're not. I'm doing this for those that are not here tonight, so uh, that's the reason I'm saying this. But there's going to come a time when we as Christians, if we remain silent, we will be completely shut down. But there's going to be a day that we're going to have to break our silence. There's going to be a day that we're going to have to have strategy on how to fight the battle. Wars are lost because there's no strategy. The nation of Israel is one of the one of the most uh, smallest one of the smallest nations on the face of the earth. But yet, the nation of Israel is one of the most powerful militaries on the face of the earth. Years ago, in the, in the Six-Day War, nations all around Israel, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Libya, uh, Jordan, all those nations attacked this little small nation about the size of Rhode Island. 
with the intent to wipe it off the map, totally destroy it. You know what happened? Israel deliberately stopped their attack because they were already moving all the way over into Saudi Arabia, whipping the enemy left and right. This little small nation. Why is that? Because they have a divine strategy. They have the blessing of the Lord on their side, and they had a divine strategy. If you want some interesting reading, just read about the history of the nation of Israel when it was formed, and you'll see the hand of God and how it moved in that nation and gave them divine strategy. The reason you and I many times lose our battles is because we don't have divine strategy. Doesn't mean that we're not saved. Doesn't mean that we're not born again. Doesn't mean that we don't have Holy Spirit on the inside. It just means that we're not drawing from that well of living water in us so that we know what we need to do. Amen. Now, anytime you got a question or comment, just say, hey, I got something to say, and, and we'll stop, okay? I was, I was told that last week that I talked too much, so uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to stop. So if you got something to say, come on, say it. I'm not talking about my wife, okay? All right, so, so it's, it's what caused the children of Israel to miss out going into the promised land. They wound up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, okay? So that's the power of unbelief. Jesus, in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 58, returned to his native land, Nazareth, or his native town in Nazareth, and went into this town. But the Bible says in, in uh, Matthew 13, verse 58, that he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And we've, you've probably heard that before. Jesus went... <coughs> It would be like me going down to Little River, where I'm from, and, and working miracles and, and signs and wonders follow me when I'm in McCullough. Miracles, signs, and wonders are following me. When I'm in Uriah, miracles, signs, and wonders are following me. And when I go to Little River, none of that happens. People are not being healed. People are not being delivered because they remember me as a kid growing, growing up in Little River. <coughs> and they can't make the transition. That's what happened with Jesus in Nazareth. They couldn't get past the fact that this is Joseph, the carpenter's son, or this is Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter. All right? And so he couldn't do mighty works there because of unbelief. All right, so to save time, Take your Bible and go with me to Matthew chapter 17, beginning with verse 14. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. So I want to talk about the cure for unbelief tonight. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14, everybody got to say, hallelujah. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, 
Have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falls into the fire and often to the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So real quickly, here's the picture. This man had brought his, his son, his lunatic son, or son that was possessed of, of the devil, to Jesus' disciples. Now, <clears throat> if you look in Matthew 16, I think it is, right before this happens, Jesus Peter, James, and John are up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So there were, there were only nine disciples that this man brought his son to, the other nine disciples. Peter, James, and John, and Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. So they brought him to him uh, that they would, they would pr uh, pray for his son and his son be healed. It didn't happen. <clears throat> they couldn't do anything. Nothing happened when they prayed. So this man comes to Jesus. When Jesus comes down off the mountain, this man comes to Jesus and said, Master, or Lord, I brought my son to your disciples that, that they would pray for my son and be healed, but nothing happened. And, and so uh, uh, I, need, I, I need you uh, to, to do something. And Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I suffer you? And, and he told him to bring the son to me. And so Jesus rebuked the devil, and he re departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. So the disciples came to Jesus and said, Now, Lord, why is it that we couldn't do this? Jesus said, Because of your unbelief. That's very you might say, well, that's very strong words there because these were his disciples, all right? These were men that had followed Jesus. It would be like us today. We are disciples of Christ. We, we are followers of Christ. These men had followed Jesus. They had seen the things with their eyes. They had seen the miracles. They had seen Jesus and heard Jesus when he cast out de demons before. So it wasn't anything new, but yet Jesus looked at them and said, the reason that you could not do it is because of your unbelief. All right? And so Jesus said this, I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Nothing 
shall be impossible to you if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. And we're talking about why you need to fast. I believe that when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you couldn't do this because of your unbelief, and he, and he made the statement, faithless and perverse generation, I believe what Jesus was saying was that, that you are walking in unbelief because you have not got the revelation of who I am coming out of your mouth. In other words, you are still looking at me as a man. You're still looking uh, and you still see yourself as, as just men. He said, and, and, and you don't have the revelation of who I am. Jesus said this. He said, uh, he said this kind comes out through prayer and fasting. This kind goes out, not, not out, but by prayer and fasting. Why? Here's the thing, and this, this is going to be a huge revelation, okay? You got your pens out, got you ready to write, take some notes. No, it won't be that big. But here's the thing. Why did Jesus say this kind comes out through much prayer and fasting? You won't see that anymore in the Bible. You won't see when Jesus cast out demons in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You won't see where the disciples cast out demons in the book of Acts and on through. You will not see that statement anymore. This kind can come out only through prayer and fasting. Here's the reason I think that Jesus made that statement. Prayer is me reaching up to heaven and communicating with heaven. Prayer is me connecting with God in the spirit and communicating with God. Fasting is me denying myself. When I deny myself, the reason that I need to fast on a regular occasion is that when I fast, it does it, it shuts down my fleshly thinking. And when I pray, it opens me up to the things of heaven. All right? I, I, don't, I don't know what their reasoning was. All I know is that what Jesus said, because of your unbelief. And, and see, the problem is that if we're not careful, we will operate un, in unbelief and not even realize it. You know, people will operate in unbelief when they say God doesn't do miracles anymore. But they don't really realize what they're operating in. Uh, we can operate in unbelief when we say that we prayed for something and it didn't happen and we're frustrated and aggravated about it. We can operate in that unbelief. 
So what fasting does is fasting subdues my flesh. Remember Romans chapter 8, your flesh is an enemy against God. All right? My flesh is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. All right? So my flesh, this body of mine, the appetites of my body, many times are the very thing that stands between me and God doing great things through me. All right? All right? So fasting subdues the flesh. I, I think we mentioned this Sunday or, or might have been last Wednesday night in Matthew 26, 41, where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, he said, the flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the disciples, you know, when he went back and said, hey, can't, can't you watch with me for one hour? Can't you pray uh, with me? Jesus was in one of the most difficult times of his life. And the disciples were, what it was is they were feeling his stress, I think. They were feeling his uh, perhaps anxieties, and they were feeling the pressure of what was going on around them. And Jesus asked them, can you just pray with me for one hour? And he came back, and they were sleeping. They did, did this a couple of times. And finally, he looked at him and he said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And what had happened was that the stress of the situation that the disciples were in, the pressure that they were under, and all of these things had so beat them down in their flesh. Have you ever been to a place where you wanted to, you, you were just, you were facing some things and you said, I'm going in my prayer closet and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend the night in my prayer closet and I'm going to pray all night? None of y'all ain't never said that, have you? Or, or maybe I shot too far out. Uh, I'm going in my prayer closet and I'm not coming out till 15 minutes. I'm going to stay there. I'm going to get in touch with God. You ever done that? All right. And you go in there and you're all charged up. Why are you going in there? You're going in there because your spirit is desiring to touch the throne of God. But when you get in there, after about five minutes, Amen. And after about eight minutes, you're having to slap yourself and, and all that because you're struggling. Or, or maybe even after about five minutes, you're saying, man, I done prayed out. I don't know anything else to say. I've run out of words. I don't know what to say. You ever been there? What was happening? Your spirit was all all for it. Your spirit was good to go, but your flesh was weak. All right? Are you catching that? That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. You know, you want to stay with me. You want to be with me, but because of all the stress around you, your flesh, your body is tired. That's what I was saying all back up at the at the beginning. Of the, of the night when I talked about the reset. 
is because our world is facing some things in the future that are going to be difficult. We as Christians are going to face things in the future that are going to be difficult. Pressure is going to be put on you to tone down your walk with God. More than that, more than that, pressure is going to be applied more and more to your children to not follow the ways of Christ. It's already happening, but it's going to get more. All right? Doesn't matter who's in, doesn't matter who the prez is. That's not going to make any difference. The fact is that we're living in a culture today that is anti-God, anti-Christ. And so we're going to be moving into that. Pressure, more pressure is going to be put on school systems and, and things like that. It is, it is imperative, guys, that, that we understand that we've got to have a strategy to deal with our flesh. We've got to have a strategy of where when we begin to pray and fast, God begins to give us strategy on how to deal with situations that we're facing. You might be facing problems right now. And you don't really know how to deal with it. You don't really know what to say because words don't do it any good. And you've cried and you've wept and you've gotten disgusted and frustrated and all that and nothing is working. Then that's, that's the reason that you need a time of fasting. Whatever ever how you want to fast. I'm not putting guidelines on how you do it. But I'm telling you this. That if you, <clears throat> if you will deny this flesh, whether it's, whether it's one meal, whether it's two meals, whether it's a Daniel fast, whether it's, it's a complete fast, whatever you can do, when you deny this flesh, God is going to begin to reveal to you divine strategy that will blow you away, all right? I feel that. I don't know about you. It might be just up here. <clears throat> but it will happen. <clears throat> so when you're surrounded by stress, negativity, faithless voices, opposing voices, you can't just sit there and say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And then cuss somebody out. All right? You can't, you can't just sit there and let the enemy push you into a corner and then you pick up a stick and want to whip somebody's head. All right? You've got to have strategy. God, oh, mm. listen, Charles Finney was one of the greatest revivalists we've had in the, the early 1900s, 20, 20th century. He was a great, powerful man of God. Thousands of people were saved during his revivals. It is said of, of Charles Finney that he made the statement that when I feel spiritually weak, when I feel myself getting discouraged, when I feel myself not walking in the strength of God, he said, I know that I need to pull away 
and spend some time in prayer and fasting to rejuvenate my spirit. And they said of Charles Finney that he would do that on a regular basis, that he would fast and he would come out of that fast charged with the power of God. People would get saved. People would run to the altar to be saved. All right? I found that to be true in my own life. I wish I could say I've had a consistent, regular routine of fasting. But I've not done that. But I watched it that when I do that, my spirit is charged up. I can walk in a greater anointing and a greater authority with God. All right? So fasting mutes the sound of your flesh and amplifies the voice of the spirit. That's what fasting does. Fasting will mute those negative things that are going through your mind. Fasting will mute those, those tendencies to gossip and those tendencies to backbite. Fasting will mute those things, and it will amplify the voice of, of the Spirit in your life. Remember what we talked about last Sunday, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, where Paul said, I have to beat my body to bring it into submission. I have, to, I have to batter my body, buffet my body to bring my body into submission. All right. So here's, here's the thing. First, first, fasting subdues your flesh. Your flesh is an enemy against God. I don't have to say any more. Your flesh is an enemy against God. Your flesh naturally opposes God. Everything of God, all right? So, and if you want to read more on that, you can read uh, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 7. You can read it, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Number two, fasting opens up, opens us up to revelation. In other words, fasting causes us to get revelation that we did not previously have. Anybody got any questions? Comments? Judy, can you ask me a question? Just Well, the only the only uh, record that we have of Jesus fasting is when in Luke, when Jesus went into the wilderness for forty days, and uh, and the Bible says that he ate nothing during that time. So, uh, you know, you can you can do the Daniel fast is the Daniel fast. That is that is Daniel ate food that was not tasty, it was not, uh, it just sustained, 
All right, that's the Daniel fast. You can choose if you want to say, hey, I'm going to go on a fast. I'm not going to eat anything but fish. That's that's you. You know, there's no strict guideline on on what you need to not eat. All right. So so we talked about this last Wednesday night. The biblical fast is is going without food. And I don't know if that's because they didn't have Pizza Huts or Burger Kings back then or not. But the biblical fast is is when you deny your body some type of food, whether it's one meal a day, whether it's two or whatever, uh, or whether it's a vegetable or whatever. So, okay? Is that all right? So fasting opens us up to revelation. This is so, so important. I wish we had two hours that we could spend on this. That fasting opens us up to revelation. What can somebody tell me what is revelation? When it comes to God, what is revelation? All right. It is it is the revealing of truth, right? When you get revelation of something, you get you get there's something that is revealed to you that was previously not seen, right? That's revelation. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that you walk in divine revelation? Do you believe that you walk every day in divine revelation? To a certain degree, we do. The Word of God is revealed to us through Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God's Word to us, and we know that. But how many of you know that you can read a Scripture today that applies to a specific situation that's going on in your life, and it just jumps out at you, Tomorrow, you're in a different situation, and you can read that same scripture, and it comes at it from a whole different angle and just speaks loudly to your situation. What is that? That is the power of God's Word, but it is revelation that things are being revealed to you concerning God's Word. Isaiah 58 and verse 8 said this, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And, and Isaiah 58 is the fasting chapter in Isaiah. That's where uh, Isaiah said, or God spoke to Isaiah and said, Is this the fast that you've chosen? Or, and, and he talked about how not to fast and, and all that. But in verse 8, he said, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Now, what he's talking about there is the correct fast, the right fast. What happens when you do the right fast? What happens when, when your motives are pure in your fasting? All right? And Isaiah said this, when you, when you have right motives in your fast, he said, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. That word light, if you look at it and study it, that word light is revelation. 
So when he was saying it's when you have the right motive going into a time of fasting, he said revelation is going to break forth in your life. God is going to begin to reveal truth to you. Not only that, he said, but your healing shall spring up speedily. So revelation is going to happen during my fast. Healing is going to take place during my fast. And that's not all of it. He said, your righteousness shall go forth before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So you put all that together. When, when we begin to fast, we're going to begin to walk in revelation in areas that, that perhaps that we've been focusing on. For example, you might be fasting. You, you say, I'm fasting because... I've got, I've got a child that is in rebellion. And I have witnessed to that child. I've told them, you need to get in church. You need to get your life right with God. You need to, you need to do this. You need to get right with God. I've talked and I've talked and I've talked. I don't know what else to do. I've talked and prayed and I don't know what else to do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to begin to fast and pray for that child. And here's what's going to happen. When I begin to fast and pray for that child, God's going to begin to give me revelation of what I need to do and how I need to do regarding that child's salvation. And you know what? God might give you the revelation that you need to sh- stop talking. That you just need to be quiet. And that you just need to go in that child's room or every time you're around them and you give them a big hug, just under your breath, saying, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for my child's salvation. God might tell you, you don't need to say a word. You just need to be, all right? And you're going to say, but God, you know, they're not going to know. They're not going to understand. But what God did is he gave you revelation of something that's going to be more effective than the method that you've been using. Come on. Are you are you listening? That's the problem, guys, that a lot of times we get in ruts and routines that we think this is how God's going to work in this situation. That, I believe that that's perhaps what the disciples did with this lunatic son. They got in a rut and a routine, and they said this is the way it's going to happen. And it didn't happen that way. And so what we need is that we need divine revelation. Listen, you will be amazed at how a small tweak in the way that you approach things can have huge differences. All right, and we're, gonna, we're fixing to get to that. So fasting br- brings not only revelation, but fasting brings divine favor. In other words, fasting will open something up that has previously been shut down it will open people's hearts up 
that has previously been shut down. And I'm going to real quickly give you this. Esther chapter 4 and verse 15. Uh, it's the story of Esther. And man, this has just been so uh, speaking to me uh, for the past week and a half. The story of Esther. You know the story. Esther was a Jewish uh, maiden. Uh, and she went through all these rituals and everything to prepare herself to go. Uh, and before the king, he chose her as queen. And so she's the queen. And, and you know how the enemy uh, rose up and was going to destroy all the Jews in, in the land. And Mordecai uh, told Esther about it. And, and Esther said, well, you know, I've not been called to come before the king. And you know the law, Mordecai. If, if I go before the king without being called, uh, it could cost me my life. That was the etiquette back then, that you could only appear before the king if you were called. And if you were called and he didn't extend that scepter to you, you better have your things in order because you're going out. And, and so Esther said, I haven't been called before the king so there's nothing that I can do about this decree that has been signed that is going to bring destruction upon all the Jews in the land. Mordecai made this statement. He said, if you don't do it, our deliverance will arise from somewhere else. But perhaps for such a time as this, God has placed you where you are. All right. So the result is this. Esther said, okay, we'll do this. I want everybody, all the Jews, I want them to go on a fast, a three-day fast. Not to eat any food for three days. We're going to fast for three days. And, and then I'll, I'll know what to do. They fasted three days, and I'm paraphrasing. You can read this story in your Bible. But they fasted for three days. The Bible says this, that Esther went before the king. And I want you to catch this. She went before the king. The Bible says the king saw her, and he had favor toward her, and he invited her in. He extended the scepter to her and invited her in and said, what is it that you need? Here's the key, guys. Here's what we're talking about on divine strategy. You've got to get the feeling of what was going on here. Esther was standing before a king that was the most powerful man on the earth at that time. He had just got rid of one queen because she wouldn't dance with him or for him. And here is Esther standing before that same man. And he says, what is it that I can do for you? Now, here's the, here's the key. If it, if it had been perhaps me, I'm going to use myself as an example. I would have went in there and the king looked at me and said, what is it that I can do for you? I would have probably just jumped up and said, King Haman is, is trying to kill us. 
He's made this decree. You need to do something about Haman. All right? If you know the story, Esther did not do that. As you read that story, you'll find that there was a strategy there that Esther used that set that whole thing in motion. She didn't mention anything about Haman and his evil plots. What would you have done, ladies? What would you have done had you been in that situation? Oh, king. Oh, you got to help me. They're going to kill us. We're all going to die. But I believe the fasting and the praying prepared Esther to walk in there cool, calm, and collected. She didn't walk in there and lose her mind. She didn't walk in there in some emotional outburst. She walked in there before the king, cool, calm, and collected. And said, hey, king, I just want to do a banquet. Are you serious? I imagine Mordecai was outside turning flips and screaming and hollering, tell him, tell him what's going on. No, she didn't do that because she had strategy. And you know the story. It played out. And, and, I, and go home and read the story of Esther and watch the strategy that she used to bring Haman to a place of where everything that he had plotted against the children of the Jews, was turned around. Haman wound up being the one that lost his life. I try, go, go and read that. It's, it's a very short story. Read it and see the strategy. And that's what I'm talking about, guys. We need that strategy in dealing with, with the works of darkness. You need that strategy in dealing with things that's going on in your life right today. All right? So that's why we need a time of fasting because fasting denies my flesh and allows my spirit to be fed. It allows my spirit to feed my mind, my will, and my emotion instead of my flesh screaming out to my mind, you need that piece of bread. And the Spirit says, back away from the bread because I've got something I want to tell you. Amen. All right. Any questions? Man, you guys are quiet. If you, if you go on down, we're out of time. I'm not going to read it. <clears throat> but if you go down, wisdom through the Spirit. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. 
you'll see that what it's talking about there is is that uh, what God does is he reveals spiritual things through our spirit, all right? So you can read that at home and get a better understanding on how to deal with it. It's, it's on the uh, bottom of your paper, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. I got a, I got a little quote in there, uh, a man by the name of Henry Varley. Any of you ever heard of D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, preacher uh, in the early part. Uh, of the 20th century, and Henry Varley was a very close friend of D.L. Moody. And uh, he once said to D.L. Moody, he said, it remains to be seen what God will do with a man who gives himself up wholly to him. D.L. Moody replied and said, well, I will be that man. D.L. Moody was responsible for thousands and thousands of people being saved and born again. But he was a man that was surrendered to God, and he was full of the Holy Ghost. All right? And he walked in faith, and he fasted and prayed. It remains to be seen what God can do with a man or a woman who will give themselves wholly to him. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles and John Wesley, prayed and fasted for her sons that God would do a work through her son's lives. And he did. He did. I've told you this story before and I'm, I'm closing. I remember my dad talking about times of fasting, times of separating himself and fasting. And dad would do complete fast. He worked in the logging woods and he said, I would walk across a cool stream of water in the heat of the day and refuse to take a drink. He said, because I was so thirsty for a move of God. I wanted so much to see God move in my life, my family, and the ministry. God did that. Listen, I encourage you, don't give up. Do what you can do. Be consistent at what you're doing and see what God is going to do. Remember this. You have the same power and authority that I do. God is no respecter of person. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're a career mom or a stay-at-home dad or a career dad. It doesn't matter. When you give yourself to God, and devote yourself to him, you will see things happen in your life. Amen.